Good to see you all here today. Thanks for uh, joining us for worship. Thanks to all of you that are online. Really grateful that you are here. We are in a series called uh, Prophetic Words. We've looked at two kind of obscure books of the Old Testament. Over the last few weeks, we started with Habakkuk and finished that up. Now we're looking at uh, the book of Malachi. And today we'll be in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. So if you're new and you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair right in front of you. I'll give you a chance to turn there. It's the last book of the, uh, of the New Test- uh, Old Testament. We learned last week, let me just recap while you're finding your place in Malachi chapter 2. We're going to look at the verse, first 16 verses of that chapter. Uh, last week, we talked about how important it is to understand that these prophetic words were specific words in context for specific people in a specific time, but also they have really practical applications for us today. Uh, those people in those days were struggling with this issue of God made promises and they were struggling in their humanity with he's not blessing us on our timetable the way that we think that he should. Has anybody ever felt like that before? Uh, God's not working fast enough. He's not doing it the way that I think he should do it. It's not on my timetable. That's what they were struggling with. And because they struggled with it, they became half-hearted in their worship. Uh, And we detailed that last week. They were bringing uh, opposite of what God said to bring to him in worship. He said, bring the best. They were bringing the worst of what they had. And so uh, we become like that sometimes when, we're, when God's not doing things our way. We become half-hearted. And that's where we left off last week. The priest and the people were just simply uh, half-hearted. Today, I want to I look at Malachi chapter 2, 1 to 16. The last part of verse 16 is the application for the whole thing. And it teaches us to guard our spirit and be faithful. And that's what we're going to talk about today, guarding our spirit and being faithful. If this is your first time ever to church and you read Malachi chapter 2, 1 to 16, you're going to be like, who is this God? Uh, So just hang with me because I'm going to make two observations. There's a lot here, but I'm just going to point out two simple things and then uh, one, one application. So if you would, one more time, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word We'll read Malachi 2, 1 to 16, and at the end of that reading, we say this phrase congregationally, the very words, just to distinguish God's word from my own, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings Indeed, I've already cursed them, but because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. This is church people, the word of God, right there. (laughs) The dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned away from iniquity. 
the lips of, the, of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for, it, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from, from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people, all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah was profaned, has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And was the one God, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless, faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You can be seated. Take a break. Wow, it's a lot of standing. It's a pretty complex passage of scripture and kind of hard to understand. So let me, let me just remind you that a lot of this prophecy in context is geared toward the priests of the people. And it affects the people, but it's geared toward the priest. And the priests were set apart in that time frame to do all the work of the faith of, uh, for the people interceding on the behalf of God. So they would say the words of God to the people and they would bring the offerings of the people to God. They were kind of uh, intercessor between God and man, set apart for God, all of that. Today, just to clarify, uh, today you have one great high priest. I'm not your priest. You have one great high priest. His name is uh, Jesus. And that's how we worship today. Jesus intercedes on on our behalf. But in in those days, there was a priestly system, a tribe of Levi, and they interceded on behalf of God. And they were coming half-hearted, and they were saying things to the people that were uh, not true of God. And so uh, what I want to do is make two observations. Uh, They're simple I'm going to cut through a lot of this just so we can understand and then apply. So the first is this, that there are real consequences for ignoring the word of God. There are real consequences for ignoring the word of God. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, it says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send curse upon you. There are consequences for ignoring the word of God in the, in the Old Testament. There are consequences for ignoring the word of God in the New Testament. It says, if you will not take it to heart, the heart is the command center of a person's life. When we read that in the context of the, the Old Testament, 
It is the place where knowledge is collected and considered and where decisions and plans are made that determines the direction of one's life. We kind of use that word heart in the same way now. It is the command center of your life. And, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God said to the people that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Uh, this is the everything about who you are. And particularly, he's saying now of these priests that they are getting ready to face consequences of ignoring his word because they do not take his word to heart and they do not give honor to his name. Now, what were these consequences? Well, here in context, there are three. First, there is a consequence that their blessing will turn to curse. Their blessing will turn to curse. Uh, you see it again in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, the back half of that, it says, then I will send curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. So their curse, their blessings are going to turn to curse. Now, the people of Israel, it's laid out for them in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 15 to 68, how they should live and how if they do this, God will bless them. If they're obedient to him, if they hear him and obey him, he will bless them. But if they choose to ignore his words, to ignore his commands, to ignore his way, then their blessings will turn to curses. They will be, uh, there will be consequences of their way of living as they ignore the word of God and they do not keep his commands. And this is exactly uh, what happens here in Malachi chapter 2. He says to the priest, I said it in Deuteronomy and now it's going to be applied here in Malachi your blessings are going to turn to curses. So, you I mean, what kind of blessings are we talking about? Well, in context, you're talking about economy. No rain for an agrarian culture, which means no, no fruit, no harvest, no economy. Uh, war. You've had peace, but now we're going to have war. It's, it's the blessings uh, turning to curses. It says, secondly... That part of the consequence for ignoring the, the word of God is the impact on the next generation. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So they've been giving these halvesy offerings. This like It says, bring the best of all your flock, the best of all the lambs firstborn male, they're bringing the, the runt of, of the flock or the, the blind one in the flock or the diseased one in the flock. It really costs them uh, nothing. And, and God says in very clear terms, I'm going to spread the dung of your offerings on your face and I'm going to rebuke your, your, the next generation coming from you, right? So this idea that ignoring the word of God might not have consequences is false in the scripture all, all from, from beginning to end. And here it says it doesn't just affect you, but this, is, this, this ignoring the scripture, the, the commands is going to impact your, your sons and your daughters, your, your grandchildren and, and granddaughters. And this is something that we, I think, have to take to heart practically. When we ignore the word of God, it impacts our sons and daughters, in drastic ways, uh, in very tangible ways, in very practical ways. And, and here, uh, God is saying that this will be the case. It's part of the judgment that's coming from them for, for ignoring the word of God. 
And the third consequence for ignoring the word of God here in Malachi, you find it in chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, is that these uh, priests then, they are in fact, by ignoring the word of God, causing the people to stumble. Right? They're, they're leading the people in a wrong direction. When we do these, uh, we do these uh, <clears throat> hikes in Israel and, and the line sort of gets spread out throughout the country and I'm in the front and there's a guy in the back and people all in the middle and, and I look back and sometimes, sometimes in the middle of the line, there'll be like two paths and one seems easier, but I always take the harder one because that's just how I like to be because I want to see, is someone going to try to take the, uh, the easier road as a whole big lesson there, but, and someone always does invariably, some, some American, you know, engineer from NASA is like, that is the hard way, there's a much better way uh, to do this, and so, uh, so we go this way, and you know what happens when he or she takes that other path is that everybody behind them follows them. They don't go the, the way that, that the shepherd was was going, and this is the same thing that the priests are doing. They're they're bringing a half-hearted offering. They're accepting half-hearted offering. They're they're not upholding the word of God and not upholding it with the people. And because they're doing that, they're leading the people, all of the people, onto a path that is not the best path for them. Right? This is what happens. These are consequences of ignoring the word of God. Your 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 blessings turn to curses. You, you think to, to yourself what it, what it means to live outside the will of God, the command of God, and how that is impactful. It impacts the next generation, and we cause people to stumble along the way. This is just a sidebar for pastors, elders, teachers, disciple makers. You got to know that there is so much responsibility with handling the word of God at, at, from the one-on-one level all the way to teaching uh, congregations. Uh, and the reason is that we can easily cause people to stumble by only holding up half the truth, right? We have to hold up the entire thing for what it says. And uh, pastors, elders, teachers, disciple makers, and I'm, let me just like push it into this. It's gonna, you're going to feel this one. Parents, we need to uphold the word of God in truth and demonstration and practical application and how, how it, demonstra- it, 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 it dictates our lives. Disre- disregarding the instruction of the, of the Lord also has impact in the New Testament. I'm getting ready to read four really hard scriptures. These are ones that it would be easier to move around so that we could just simply say this is uh, not the case, but let me read these scriptures to you from the New Testament. The first one is in Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. These are the words of Jesus. Remember, keep it in mind, we're talking about th- there are consequences for ignoring the word of God. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, the one who is walking in the way he, he calls them to walk. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Apparently, from Jesus' perspective, there are people in the world who cry out and say, you are Lord, who say, I am a follower, I am a Christian, but... He, he says, uh, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. They're, they're like, didn't we do all the things? And the problem was, according to this, uh, 
Uh, didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare it to them, I never knew you. That's the problem, is the relationship. It's the knowing and walking in the context of relationships. It's one thing to practice a religion. It's, it's another thing to know Jesus and walk with him. Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 26, Jesus was teaching. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. All right, so if you hear the words of God and you don't ignore them, you hear them and you do them, you're like, you're like the one who built his house on the rock and then the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I'll never forget, uh, when I was 16 years old, we moved from, from Nashville, Tennessee to Katy, Texas. It's like a rice field out there that they built subdivisions on. And uh, the first time it rained really hard, if you're from Houston, you don't realize that the rest of the world is not used to torrential rain like we uh, have here, plus we have hills everywhere else, so the rain goes down. We build our houses, you know, up on the top of the hill. And uh, the rain filled up the street. We lived in uh, this, this neighborhood, this master plan development, and then it's just coming toward our house. And my parents, I remember they're freaking out. And my mom is on the back porch with a broom trying to push the, the water away from the back door, and she's screaming at my dad, a wise man built his house on the rock. She didn't want to move to Houston <clears throat> at all. It's true. It's a good illustration. It's a good illustration. If you hear the word of God and, you, and you, uh, you, you're like the one who built his house on the rock and the storm uh, doesn't come against you. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So who is that person? That's the person who hears the words, not the person who never heard. Everybody always wants to ask that question, but let's talk about these people. The person who hears the words of mine and does not do them. And it's quite possible that many people who say, I'm a Christian, also hear the words of God and do not do them. And there are consequences, according to Jesus, for ignoring the word of God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you, as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Like, you're saved and you're going to heaven when you die, but the will of God is that you become more sanctified day in and day out by walking uh, with him. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one tra transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all things as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has called us for not for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, these words of God, disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I mean, this is clear. Paul is saying like when we say this is written to the church. When we say we're followers of God and yet our, our lives are full of things like sexual immorality and impurity, we're saying we're of God, but we're not living in our sanctification. 
We're disregarding the word of God. We're not becoming more like him because we're walking in his word. Uh, to the church of Galatia, in Galatia chapter 5, 19 to 21, he said, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is written to a people that are living in Roman Asia Minor where all those things that were listed were commonplace in the culture and the workplace. And so they're constantly having to make decisions. Am I going to lean into that or am I going to lean into the word of God and my sanctification to become more like Christ, to become more like him, or to become more like the world? And Paul says, the people who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is strong language. All of these strong teachings to say that there are real consequences for disregarding God's word. Now, Paul is not sounding this warning to instill despair in struggling Christians. Rather, he wanted us to see the heinous ramifications of sin and so be led by the spirit to repentance and mortification of the flesh. Here's the deal. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with sin, keep struggling Keep struggling, don't give up, keep fighting because your sanctification over time, don't go it alone, but keep fighting because over time, you're going to become more and more like Jesus. It's when we quit struggling with sin, when we say, I'm not gonna struggle with it anymore, that we, we begin to walk in a way that is totally in disregard to the word of God. That struggle is a tension, see Romans 6, 7, and eight. John Calvin said this, all threatenings of God's judgment, judgments call us to repentance for which pardon is all, always ready with God. But if we continue to be obstinate, there will be a testimony against us. In other words, you, 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 can't, you can't read the word of God, hear the word of God, and think to yourself, there'll be no consequences for not living the word of God, for not obeying the word of God. Malachi is clear. The whole word of God is clear. Jesus is clear. Paul is clear. There are consequences for disregarding the word of God. Clear consequences. Now, it brings me to my second observation. Um, when we are unfaithful to God, we are unfaithful to each other. When we are unfaithful to God, we are unfaithful to each other. Now, this plays out in Malachi chapter 2, 10 to 16. I'm just going to bullet point some of these things so that, uh, that you can see them and have, have understanding. Um, it starts like this. Like, we all have one father. We were all created by the same God. And because we all have one father... <laughs> We should be faithful to each other in the community of faith. Now, he goes on to list ways that uh, the community of faith is not being faithful to God and consequently not being faithful to others. The, the first way is idolatry. We see it in uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, that there is intermarriage bringing the worship of a foreign god into the community. Right? So I think it's interesting that he chooses Judah and Jerusalem to talk about because Jerusalem is the very heart 
of the Israel pe- Israeli people or the Israelite people in that, t- that time frame. Judah is the tribe from which Jesus would come. It's, a pro- it's the prominent tribe. It's the heart of the people. So, so what the text is telling us is that the very heart, like we said in the beginning, the very heart of the people has become corrupt with idolatry. Intermarriage is bringing the worship of foreign God into the, into the community. The second thing that they are doing here that is unfaithful to God and, and consequently causes them to be unfaithful to each other is that they, they, they are weeping now, in, even in all this half-hearted action and idolatry, they are weeping now because the Lord does not show them favor. Do you, do, has your, I almost said, do you, do you know anybody like this? But I was afraid you might point somewhere. <laughs> In the room. So just think about this for you for just a second. Have you ever just walked the way that you wanted to walk, done whatever you wanted to do, and then asked God to show you favor at the same time? It's not uncommon. And this is what was happening uh, here. You're weeping at the altar because the Lord does not show you favor. You see it in verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer rewards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. It's, it's what you're doing. Malachi 2.14, we get that fifth but you say phrase. There were four in Malachi chapter one. The fifth one is here in Malachi chapter two. But you say, why doesn't he? It's like these people have lost their mind. Deuteronomy says you should live this way and you'll be blessed. But if you live this way, you'll be cursed. They know it. They've heard it. They've read it. The priests have disseminated to them from generation to generation. They brought offerings from generation to generation. Now they've decided we're going to be half-hearted. We're going to be idolatrous. And now why isn't God blessing us? Why doesn't he? You know? And uh, sometimes we get this way in our own hearts in our own lives, but, but the text answers the question why he doesn't, because he sees your unfaithfulness in covenant relationships. Look at verse 14 to 16, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So look, God is saying, you're not faithful in your covenant relationship with me, and you're not faithful in the most basic covenant relationships to each other. And because you're unfaithful like that, that's why I don't bless you. The illustration is a man who divorces his wife to whom he has been faithless and whom she has been faithful and a companion and the wife of his covenant all of their married life together. So there's no biblical reason for this divorce to take place, and this man has been faithless. In fact, she probably has grounds for divorcing him, not the other way around, but he's saying, I'm going to divorce you, and God is saying to the people, you're like that with me and each other, that you wrong me, and then you want to divorce, or you wrong your spouse, and then you want a divorce. I just have to put this in caveat because people get crazy when we start looking at Malachi and divorce because there's one phrase in here you'll see uh, about God hating divorce. Malachi is not the treatise on divorce, and I think God does hate divorce 
because of the consequences and the ramification. Any of you that have been through divorce, you know it is very hard, no matter the circumstance or situation, and it's ongoing and lasting, the ramifications. Uh, But this is not an absolute condemnation of divorce under any circumstance here in the in Malachi chapter 2 and uh, 3, and we'll go into it more. But it is true that sometimes we teach God, te- treat God and other people in such a faithless way. And then we say, you're the problem. You're the problem. And that's the illustration here. So what is, what is the application? What do we do? How do we live in, in light of such prophetic words? There's two simple observations, right? One is... Uh, there are consequences for disregarding the word of God. And two is when we do disregard the word of God, we, we not only, not only uh, impede that relationship with God, uh, but, but we also, we hurt each other in the context because we're not obeying God. The faith community, the congregation at large is to obey, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as their self, and do it together. And when we just we don't roll like that, we hurt each other, we hurt the community. And consequently, we hurt uh, people's view of God in the community. So here's the application, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, and gives it to us at the very end. It says, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Like this is, after all that, this is what you should do. You should guard yourself in your spirit, that part of you that lives forever, and don't be faithless. Don't be faithless. So I was thinking about, okay, that's great, Malachi. How do we do that? How do we do that today? A couple things I'm really thankful for. I'm really thankful for Jesus. Really thankful for the great high priest the prophet, the king, Jesus, who died on a cross and saved us from our sins, who intercedes on our behalf, who was the once and for for all Passover lamb, the sacrifice that takes away the, the sins of the world. I'm really grateful for Jesus because uh, he, he put his spirit inside of us. We're not relying on a priest, but now we have the spirit of God inside of us. I'm really grateful for that when it comes to the question, guard yourself in your spirit and, and do not be uh, faithless. I'm really grateful. It might sound a little bit redundant, but I'm really grateful for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who works to bring conviction to my spirit when I'm walking outside the, the context of the scripture, the, the, the Holy Spirit who who brings to mind the commands of God, who whispers in uh, when it's time to do a particular thing or walk in a particular way according to, to who God is and what the faith community uh, needs. I'm really grateful uh, for people around me, and I hope you have people around you, people who will uh, also help me be faithful, also will help me guard uh, my spirit. I'm really grateful for those things. But when I think of how, now, how do you guard yourself in the spirit and, and not be faithless? I just want to give you like five things. If you didn't write anything down, these five you should, you should write down. The first one is uh, simply abide in Christ. Abide in Christ means to remain in Christ on a daily basis. The illustration John, is given in John 15. 
Uh, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's that, uh, that connection to the vine, that abiding connection to the vine that keeps us bearing fruit. The command for us is not to bear fruit. The command for us is to abide in Christ and we, we consequently will bear fruit by blessing from abiding in Christ. And so the first thing we do is abide, and you're abiding in the one who was cursed so you can be blessed. We talked about blessing and curses, but listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He bought us back from the curse of the law. The law creates for us a tension in that we cannot keep all of it like these priests and people in Malachi so adequately illustrate. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who who is hanged on a tree. So he literally becomes cursed so you can be blessed. And if you could feel and understand and see with eternal eyes the ramification of that act, you would seek to abide daily with him because you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because he became cursed. He took on sin so that you could be blessed and walk in freedom, free from the consequences or from the wrath of God and from the penalty of sin and to an eternal inheritance. So we abide in the one who was cursed so we can be blessed. How do we do that? Well, to you, we hear and obey. We listen to the words. We don't disregard them. We, we read the word of God. We take it in in small, small segments, and we meditate on it. We think about it. Maybe we memorize it, and we don't ignore it, but we obey it. Uh, this is uh, simply the definition of a disciple of Jesus, someone who hears and obeys G- Jesus. We listen, and we walk. The problem here from the very beginning, verse 2, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, if what I'm saying to you, you won't hear it, and you won't let it come out in your life, that's a problem. We, we followers of Jesus, we, we hear and obey. Third thing is we fight the desire to compromise. Fight the desire to compromise. Uh, anybody ever been a compromiser in the room in any way? Me. I have. I'm, you don't have to raise your hand. I was just saying, I have. I'm uh, keenly aware of this like three or four times a week. There was a, uh, there was a, uh, a workout, it always goes back to this for me, but there's a workout this week that had 11 in the rotation of things. It had 11 of a particular exercise. And once it started getting hard, like after two or three rounds, I thought 10 is a good number. Uh, 10 is hurting enough. I don't want to do 11. Why, whoever wrote this, why 11? Why 11? And you're like in this mental like, okay, don't compromise, do 11, don't compromise, do 11. I think in our spiritual life, like we live in such a way where we're always like, I'm not going to do 11. I'll do 10 because it's a nice round number, but 11, what you're asking me to do, uh, you know, and so we fight the temptation to compromise in any particular way. We give him all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. The fourth thing is that we don't do this alone. We don't walk alone. Nobody walks alone in the Christian faith. It's not meant to be done in private, in isolation by yourself, but we do this together. There should be people around you 
your family, your life group. There should be men, women in your life that are walking with you so that when you are tempted to compromise, when you don't want to hear and obey, when you're having trouble abiding, they can come alongside you and encourage you. Don't walk alone. And then fifth thing is, is quite obvious after all this is just love people in the congregation by loving God really well. Um, your love for, for the people that are sitting around you now and that are in your, your groups and that, that <clears throat> you, you do this Christian life with, it stems from uh, how you love God. So there are real consequences for not obeying the word of God. And when we don't obey the word of God, uh, we, we hurt each other. And the big so now, what, if I had to boil it down to one thing, now we abide in Jesus. We hear him and obey him. We don't compromise. We don't walk alone. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and um, just take a few seconds to think through that and to ask God to speak to you any way he, uh, he wants. So, Father, we, uh, we have listened to these ancient words that you prophesied through Malachi to your people so long ago, and we have found uh, the words to ring true in our own lives today. And so, Holy Spirit, would you draw us, each one, toward application the, the way that you want us to apply it? Would you give us ears to hear the things that you wanted us to hear as, as individuals and as a church? God, would you, would you this week give us eyes to see how you're at work, maybe how we're out, outside of, of your word, outside of your command. Help us, Father, to be a people who place high value on your word and choose not to disregard what your word says. God, let blessings come to these people, to their families, to this congregation, because we regard your word as holy and we walk in it. Father, for people that are here today and they're like, I'm so far from that. God, would you, by your spirit, just, just draw them to you now? Would you show them just uh, how good you are by drawing them into relationship with you? Um, Father, um, as, we, as we worship right now and as we pray, um, would you do work in the hearts of men and women that we could never manufacture, that only you can do, maybe just between you and them. But God, just, just speak to them about their own lives, God, and, and draw them to action, to abiding, to, to repentance even. God, thanks for the kindness that is conviction that comes from your Holy Spirit that beckons us back into right relationship with you. And for every person here, God, that has heard all of this, is like, what in the world? Lord, would you, um, would you simply help them see that your way is the best way? 
and let them come to you through Jesus by confessing with their mouth that you are Lord and believing in their heart that God raised them from the dead. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you that you're sanctifying us even now and thank you for our eternity in Christ. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.